Welcome to the Splat Zones. My name is Nice1983. Um, guys, I'm a Floridian, and so is Mario After Party. You know, we've we spent the better part of a decade here in Florida. This is our home. Uh, recently, something happened in our backyard in Orlando. Um, a madman decided it would be a good idea to take lives. Uh, when something like this happens this close to your home, it really it you really take note of it. Um, we just want to send our best wishes to the families and the victims of the uh, of the mass shooting that took place in Orlando. Uh, we wish them the best, and you know we don't wish this upon anyone. That being said, guys, we have a great show planned for today. And before we go ahead and do all that stuff, we just want to we want to get out there. We want to send our message to the people, and you know, we just want to. We want to unite, you know, we want to send that message of unity. So everybody pray, everybody send your well wishes. And uh, as always guys, stay fresh. Podcast dedicated to bringing you the best Nintendo related topics. I am your host, Nice1983. And I'm your illustrious co host, Mario After Party. <laughs> Guys, this is our post E3 extravaganza show. Nintendo's presence at E3 was a smaller affair this year, but as the show went on, they unveiled more and more and more. From hidden game announcements to Amiibos, Nintendo's E3 was a mix of the expected and unexpected. Today, we'll discuss all the major developments that Nintendo brought to E3 2016. And guys, we're going to start where they started, with Pokemon Sun and Moon. 45-minute presentation. They gave us a 45-minute presentation, and there were a lot of minor details there. Um... The first thing I wanted to point out is that most of these details that they that they laid upon us, they were all ways of simplifying the game and not really simplifying it, but making the game more accessible to to new players. Just a bunch of minor little things that were really unnoticeable. And if they hadn't said what they were, I might not have noticed. Uh, but some of these features I like because one specifically. Uh, when you look at the bottom screen on the, uh, on the 3DS and you tap the 2D sprites, you get to see status effects on Pokemon now. Very cool feature for, for new trainers because sometimes they might not know that their Pokemon has been affected by a status. I mean, everybody knows when they're poisoned because, of course, they're losing HP, but other status effects like getting, you know, like getting burned Sometimes you don't really notice that you've been burned, especially if you're kind of level grinding and you're just tapping buttons. So a lot of other features. Uh, shadows under Pokemon trainers. I thought that was cool. So if you haven't battled somebody, there a shadow will appear under them. And if you don't avoid them, well, you're going to battle them. I think the thing that is really cool for me, one feature that really stood out is the Battle Royale. Battle Royale, and I kind of wish they had started, you know, the the show with this. 
Uh, it's been a while since we've had a new battle mode, but uh, as far as we can tell, battle mode is a four-player free-for-all in which trainers are allowed up to three Pokemon. Uh, the first player to lose all three of their Pokemon will end the battle royale. The number of Pokemon defeated and remaining will determine who wins the battle royale. To break that down is, so it's four people against each other. The game ends once one trainer loses all three of their Pokemon. But the person who wins is the person who has the most knockouts and the most remaining Pokemon. So there is a very deep level of strategy that comes to this mode. Because Right. Go ahead. Because you would think that, well, if you just gang up on one person and start eliminating people that way, that would, you know, way to go about it. But it's not because the match ends once the first person is eliminated, which means that you don't want to knock someone out right away because you want to, you win by the number of knockouts that you have. So it, so then you're kind of like going back and forth about who you should, you know, pick apart and who you should attack. And there, I, I see this being a really fun mode with a lot of deep strategic elements and uh, tactical elements, which I'm interested in because this is the most interesting battle mode that they've they've come up with in a while. You know, the last uh, few battle modes that they introduced into the game, I felt that they were kind of lackluster. I was never really a fan of the triple battles and especially not the rotation battles when they black and white. Um, you know, some of the, the, the ones that they introduced – in uh, Gen 6 were pretty interesting with the uh, Horde encounter and, and Sky Battles, but those were for your encounters with uh, wild Pokemon usually, so um, I am excited just because this is actually a mode that I can see myself playing regularly. See, they added a, a battle mode in a Gen 6 and X and Y called inverse battles where all your super effective moves are weak and all your weak moves are super effective, but that only applied to a few in-game NPC matches. That was a mode that I feel like they should have brought into, <clears throat> into the regular meta being able to have an inverse battle. This is cool though. And there is, I mean, these kind of matches can get intense because th these battle Royale matches, because it only behooves you to be helpful to another player for so long. Once, once they're going to get close, a lot of this is a lot of what this is, is just preventing people from finishing off an opponent so that you can. So moves that can put uh, opponents to sleep will be completely beneficial to, to the person, to you as a player. Like if you really want to start knocking people out, the best, the best route is to put people to sleep and make sure that, Nobody else can attack in general. It's such a cool feature. I'm excited about this. Like triple battles were, you know, all you did was add a new Pokemon to your double battles. And then rotation battles, never been a fan of. It's it's just it feels weird. I mean, with Battle Royale, man, I would love to see that Battle Royale get picked up by the meta, by the people who play at the pro level of Pokemon. I want to see how they would handle this kind of battle mode. I mean, 
it's already exciting and like me and Mario After Party said last episode, we are not metagame players, but um, like at, since we're not metagame players, we you know what we're telling you right now is a limited scope of how these pro level players will be playing this, and that's exciting. I would love to see the Pokemon Company bring this to the Pokemon World Championship because that's so freaking cool. Yeah, it sounds exciting, and one of the other features that they added into Sun and Moon that I know that they did this for first-time players, just um, battle moves that indicate whether or not an attack is going to be super effective or not effective against an opposing Pokemon. But for me, that's I am loving that feature because there are so many obscure combinations with, you know, you got like weird combination types now, and there's so many Pokemon it's really difficult to remember like weak against, you know, is this going to be super effective against ghost grass or is this going to be, you know, I have like a, you know, a dark, you know, water Pokemon or something. And I don't, and you, you, you start or types that, that contradict each other, like fire water or, you know, things that are supposed to be super effective against each other. Like, you know, you have electric, Electric ground Pokemon, that um, Mudfish or whatever. Mudkip. Oh, wait, not Mudkip. Uh, uh, I don't know. Electric ground Pokemon. Well, what's going to work, you know, what's going to be super effective against that? And so it's nice that I don't have to go to Cerebi and look up all of the type combinations and figure out, well, what's going to be super effective or not effective against this Pokemon? So that is a great feature. That is 100% true. I agree with you, like, totally. It was a feature that I liked a lot, and you know, while I was while I was watching E3 this year, I was taking like notes upon notes upon notes, and I was that was one of the things that I saw while I was watching that that I was like, "Whoa, that's cool!" And it it's what it's, what I really like about it. It's not really just for first time players; it's for lapsed players, people who might have played earlier on and they've left. They you know they outgrown Pokemon. Uh, outgrown with the quote air quotes because nobody can really outgrow Pokemon game is t- those games are timeless but yeah with the excitement of Pokemon Go a lot of people are coming back to the main Pokemon series and they don't know what they're in for anymore because you know the roster of Pokemon has grown exponentially and you know we've, we've got more reveals today uh, but knowing what moves are effective weak or super effective very efficient uh the only caveat i have the only problem i have with it is is that you must have already battled the pokemon before it tells you whether or not your moves are super effective or weak or and whatnot i really wish it was a function that was open right off the bat yeah i wish you didn't have to have that but you know it's a step in the right direction and uh i think that a lot of the things they're adding to this game Battle modes, new features uh, look like they're going to be really good for the game and really interesting. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I'm i excited about some of the new Pokemon they released too, but really I just kind of want to wait for the game to come out and a new Pokemon for myself. But the new ones that they talked about with, with the, the unique moves that they're inventing for this game as, as well did seem exactly so that's the perfect segue new pokemon uh 
we got four. I'm sorry, we got three new reveals. Two actually were revealed during the uh, live gameplay, and one was revealed uh, during a trailer that was post the, the uh, presser to, that day. So the first one was uh, Young Goose. Uh, here's his entry. The Young Goose is a big eater that is never satisfied. The majority of its long body is given over to its stomach, and its digestion is swift, so it's always hungry. It has strong fangs so it can crush and consume the hardest of, ob ob hardest of objects. Each young goose chooses its own particular route for searching out prey. It stalks along this route searching for food until it's exhausted, at which point it drops and sleeps wherever it may be. It's thought that these Pokemon decide their routes based on safety so that there's no risk in falling asleep at any time. Just a couple more uh, pieces here. Is young goose is not a Pokemon that is native to the Alola region. It was brought to the region to help the explosive population of certain other Pokemon, and now Yongoose are commonly seen around Alola. Okay, I gotta stop mid-description. The fact that it is a non-native Pokemon to the Alola region makes me think that post-game that there is additional... There is, there's going to be additional... Uh, islands or regions to travel to. It makes me think that there is another region within this game. That is such like revealing that is such a you. why would they reveal that? Why would you say that this Pokemon is non-native to the Alola region if you weren't going to give us another region? I never thought about that actually. I I just took it at you know face value and thought it was the they just made it up to be an interesting story, but native to Alola, well, we've never seen it in any of the other regions in the previous game, so where is it from? Exactly. It would be, it would be foul play to tell us it's from another region and not take us to that region. Um, so fingers crossed that we're going to see an additional region within Pokemon Sun and Pokemon Moon, or at least a hint of another region. Uh, moving back to the description, some young goose have an ability that no other Pokemon discovered has previously had. The ability is known as Stakeout. With the Stakeout ability, this Pokemon moves can deal twice the damage normal Pokemon to, twice the normal damage to any Pokemon that switch in or enter the field mid battle. Since this Pokemon is so common in the Alola region, it's easy to catch one. Like I said, that's young goose. I still think we're gonna see another region. So. Fingers crossed on that again. Moving on, the next Pokemon that they showed was uh, Peaky Peck. It was a little woodpecker Pokemon. This one straight up reminds me of Pidgeotto. Uh, Peaky Peck can strike 16 times a second with his beak. These strikes are, are that. These strikes are powerful enough to not only drill through hardwood, but even shatter stone. The noises made by their blows can signal others. Some of these signals have been identified as warning signals and greetings among allies. Peaky Peck trainers have grown to recognize them as well. These Pokemon drill holes in the trees and store food in the holes. They also like small glittering objects and will tuck them away in their food stores too. It's often said something lost, something missed, check inside a Peaky Peck nest. Peaky Peck will attack distant opponents by zipping seeds at them. These shots have enough strength to embed the seeds in tree trunks. Very uh, grass style move, if that's what I know. It's just going to be a straight up flying Pokemon, but it kind of reminds me of Bullet Seed. 
Okay, guys. And the last new Pokemon that they showed was Grubbin. Grubbin relies on its sturdy jaw as a weapon in battle and as a tool for burrowing through the earth. Grubbin loves electricity, which is why it can be found near power plants and substations. By wrapping trees and branches in the sticky threads that it spews from its mouth, Grubbin can swing around like an actor on suspension wires. So those were the three new Pokemon. Uh, it's weird that they gave us so much information on two and so very little on one. Uh, then they actually showed off Magearna, which we've previously seen Magearna in posters for the, the new Pokemon movie that's coming out. It's a man-made Pokemon. All this information we've seen already, nothing special. So I'm not going to go ahead and dive so deep into it. Um, I think what was really cool was post, uh, the, post the live gameplay, they unveiled new forms for Solgaleo and Lunala. Uh, so it's Solgaleo's Radiant Sun Phase and Lunala's Full Moon Phase. Solgaleo and Lunala are two Pokemon that hold an important key to the story. The forms that these two Pokemon are revealed as the Radiant Sun Phase and the Full Moon Phase. Both appear to be shining with a stronger light than their previously released images. What will these two do when they release their full power? So... I've been debating whether or not this is Mega Evolution or if this is a second form. Uh, we've had Pokemon that have different phases, like uh, it's that little grass hedgehog Pokemon. That's it, its name is completely escaping me right now. Does that? Yes, exactly. Shaman does that, and so does a uh, man. Giratina also has additional uh, forms. So. Don't know if these are Mega Evolutions or, or new form. All I know is that they made two badass Pokemon look more badass. And for the first time, I'm questioning whether I want Pokemon Sun because after seeing Lunala's full moon phase, I'm like, crap, I might want that game now. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of cool new features for Pokemon Sun and Moon too many to just go over individually but i can just go ahead and say that i i'm excited for, for the some of the things that they announced like and this we still have until what is it november 18th and they keep giving us more pokemon information and it was a lot of lot of gameplay footage that they showed up i wasn't expecting them to dedicate a full 45 minutes of just gameplay but to be fair, they, the gameplay they showed, it wasn't groundbreaking by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I do think it was funny that they showed that the that the Alola reason has like certain rites of passage. So like Lunal, I'm sorry, uh, How and, and the U, the U trainer, they have to battle each other in order to determine like whatever. They didn't really describe what, what they were trying to determine. They just said it was a rite of passage. And I, I wonder if that's something to do if they're if that's something to do with like some native Hawaiian thing. They're like, what's what's you know, they're like, what's a native ritual that's a rite of passage in Hawaii? And they they did their own spin on it or whatever. Very cool though. I'm I'm super excited for Pokemon Sun and Moon. We're gonna talk about the thing that I am most excited to talk about about E3. Nothing else really mattered and it's the Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. We've been waiting for this game 
and Nintendo confirmed that this was the only game they were going to bring to E3 as playable. And I know I said some foul shit on the lead up to this E3 saying that they need to do this. This game needs to look this way. This game needs to be the best looking Zelda game. It has to be the best. Well, fuck it. That Nintendo gave me two middle fingers and said, hey, this is the best Zelda game. It definitely lived up to the hype, and then some. It was gorgeous. It looked amazing, and I do not want to wait to play this game. I 100% agree. It's it's almost cruel that we have to wait for this game. It is cruel. We were just discussing earlier about how this game looks like you are playing through a very high-quality anime. Yeah. Everything about this game looks looks great. Um, everything. It's almost not a Zelda game. It's it's literally almost not a Zelda game. And a piece of information came out yesterday that really that really confirms how very different this is from from previous Zelda games. Monolith Soft has 100 employees working with Nintendo on The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Monolith Soft, uh, the makers of Xenoblade games. So, Mario After Party, you've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles X for a couple weeks now, like real hardcore. And you can attest to how big that world is. Yeah, I finally started to get into Chronicles X a little bit more. Lately, I've had some uh, free time, so... I've been diving deep into that game, and let me tell you, it's amazing. It is one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. It is probably the largest open-world game I've ever played. And surprisingly, for you know, a system that is less powerful than, than its competition, in Chronicles X is actually larger than the world within uh, The Witcher and uh, the world in... Um, the uh, Grand Theft Auto game, the last one, I believe. And it's on a less powerful system. And this, I mean, it's just, it's it's massive. And um, I'm just, I'm loving it. And so if anybody knows how to do an open world game right, it's going to be Monolith Soft. And so if they're assisting in the, of Breath of the Wild, that can only be a good thing. Yeah, and now that we've seen Breath of the Wild and with all the footage I've seen of Xenoblade Chronicles X since I still haven't gotten into it yet, it's it's a you can definitely see how advantageous it was to have them on board immediately. Um there's a lot more like traditional RPG elements uh like so, All right, we're just going to go ahead and get into this. Uh Oh, and sorry, I just want to correct myself. It was the article that I was reading um, actually said that it was uh, Xenoblade Chronicles was bigger than The Witcher and then all Fallout 4. Those were the two games that it had larger open world than and it's on the Wii U. So, um, But yeah, I just wanted to uh, correct myself. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, let's just go ahead and start with where they started. Uh, you know, they, they showed us this great trailer. We saw a lot of cool stuff in the trailer. But then they got into gameplay. Uh, and the first thing that happens in the gameplay is we hear voice acting, man. 
we hear voice acting. We've never had any kind of voice acting in voice in, in Zelda games other than grunts. This was a speaking role. Um, now, clearly, we know that Link will not speak in the game, but we've never even heard other characters speak. And we start with, wake up, Link. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. You know, we hear that. Um, we don't know who that is yet. Uh, the, 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 best, the best assumption would be that it's just Zelda speaking. Uh, the game starts like every other game with Link waking up from sleep. The biggest difference is here is that Link is waking up from what appears to be a stasis chamber. Um, and we have, Anuma has confirmed that at the start of this game, Link has been asleep for a hundred years. All right. Why is that significant? Why is that significant? Well, you had some interesting theories on this, being a hardcore Zelda fan like yourself. Um, you were saying that it might be closely related to a previous game in the series. Absolutely. I actually think that this is a direct sequel to The Wind Waker. Um, the art style kind of kind of similar, but in its own way. It has its own very unique style, but it does have a very anime style to it, similar to The Wind Waker. Uh, most, of the, most of the clothes we've been seeing in this game is Link wearing blue instead of his traditional green. We start the Wind Waker with Link wearing blue. But the fact here is that Link has been asleep for 100 years. I honestly think that this is a grown-up version of Wind Waker Link uh, and that there was a new calamity in the works. We know that there's Calamity Ganon in this game. That was confirmed by Anuma. I think that Wind Waker Link was put in the stasis chamber and put to sleep until he was needed again. A couple other little things in the game indicate why that why I believe I have this theory uh, the return of the Choo Choo villains and the return of the Koroks which were exclusive to Wind Waker the fact that these characters are making return appearances make me think that this game is tied very closely to Wind Waker if not a direct sequel uh, again another thing that makes me think this is what the voice that's calling out to Link is saying the voice very specifically says, Link, you are the light. You are the light that must shine upon Hyrule once again. If that's not an indication that this is Wind Waker Link who has been asleep for 100 years, there is no better indication. Uh, outside of that, Link is going to carry the Sheikah Slate, which is... All right, Nintendo put a gamepad within the game. That's, that's like really meta. Uh, and that, that acts like, like a map or a guide. Of course, you know, we're going to be able to use that to sift through weaponry. There is a lot of alien-style technology in this game, uh, and that is a huge break from Zelda tradition. We have never had this kind of technology. The stasis chamber, right off the bat, looks very alien, and it's almost like a fusion of science with magic. But Link waking up from a stasis chamber... And, you know, from earlier trailers, we see that bow and arrow that Link has that, like, transforms. And even the Guardian monsters, which clearly are tech-based, like, monster crab squid things, a lot of things. Uh, Link has the ability to jump. I have played so many Zelda games. 
And, you know, I play a lot of games in general, but the one thing that is a constant annoyance is the fact that you cannot jump at as Link unless you are at a predetermined jump point. The fact that you can jump on command is so important. It's so important. You, you'd think that this these kind of features would, would have been in so many other games. Like, it would have made sense for Majora's Mask. It would have made sense for Ocarina of Time, Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword. All these 3D Zelda games jumping would have been such a good key mechanic and we never have had that before so i'm super excited that we have that now uh yes and and also the fact that the environment in this game as beautiful as it is it's also very interactive you you have to use the environment to survive um by because health is not going to be found in the grass you've got to cook your own food and you can also use the environment to defeat enemies. And I, I also like that you can alter the environment somewhat because they kind of borrowed a little bit from Animal Crossing in the gameplay when you see Link chopping down the trees. Um, and I thought that was a cool feature too. There are so many amazing things. One of my favorite favorite features is something, it looks like they borrowed a little something from Skyrim. Weapons. Uh, you know, most of the time when you start a Zelda game, the weapons you get are predetermined. Like, you're going to get specific weapons for specific places. So if you enter, like, this one dungeon, you need a specific item for this dungeon. And I'm certain that element's still going to be within Breath of the Wild. But the fact that you ho you can hoard weapons, like, you attack enemies and steal their weapons... And what I like, what I really like about it is that the weapons can can receive wear and tear. So the more you use a weapon, the more likely it is to break or be destroyed, or you're just gonna you know lose that weapon. It's it's not a forever weapon. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm what I'm thinking is the only weapon that we get that is going to be non-breakable is going to be the master sword. Like I think that's the only sword within this game that will not be subject to, to damage and, and wear and tear. Uh, the same applies to shield. And speaking of shield, this was so cool. In the gameplay, they showed Link surfing down the mountain on his shield. And again, when you shield surf, your, your shield receives wear and tear. So you can, shield to the you can surf to the point where your shield will break. Cool little features, and it's... It's all, it's almost like Skyrim meets Zelda. Notice that um, the weather also has an effect on Link in this game. Um, the weather affects stamina um, as, as well as the terrain. Now, you've played more Zelda games than I have, so I was wondering, um, has this been used in previous games? Previous Zelda games have had the stamina bar. Um, Twilight Princess has the stamina bar. Uh, it's actually, in that game, the stamina bar kind of gets in the way where if you run too much, you know, Link just kind of doubles over, starts breathing heavy. It basically there to limit how much you can run. The same kind of applies to opponent of the horse. So you can only use their stamina for a finite amount of time. Now, what it does here is much more interactive, and it, it really plays to inventory management in this game. Um, I mean, as far as weather's concerned. No, weather functionality. I mean, Wind Waker has a lot of rain in it. And, you know, when you're... But it's 
it's really doesn't have much effect like it makes the water a little bit more difficult to traverse through when you're when you're in the boat when you're in the king of red lions boat but it doesn't really affect link itself it, it, it affects travel but it doesn't affect link um this game the weather affects link very negatively or you know based on what kind of weather it is like the cold if link is cold it affects his stamina which will once his stamina is affected, it affects his his health, and we yeah that is totally new and exclusive to Breath of the Wild, and it's very cool. It's very cool because it it really plays to your inventory management and which uh, and by inventory I mean it you have to have the right kind of clothing if you're gonna climb to the peak of a mountain where it's snowing and cold, you you definitely need to have the right kind of clothing, you and you definitely need to have the right kind of food. Because if you if you feed Link the, the peppers, he gets a resistance to the cold. And that's very, very, very smart way of, of making Zelda games a little bit more interactive, giving them, you know, it's kind of like a uh, one of those survival horror games where you have to manage your inventory. Like Resident Evil, where you never wanted to shoot too much of your ammo because you didn't know when you were going to get more ammo. Kind of, kind of applies right. here. You you make you want to make sure you're loaded with peppers, or that at the very least you have the right kind of clothing for different elements. Yeah, I was thinking it definitely adds a lot more survival genre elements to the game, um, and Nintendo is is kind of pulling from a lot of different um, games to create their their open world Zelda game, and it looks like. Um, you know, it's not really going to be like any one particular game. It's it's going to be pretty unique. Oh, most definitely. Um, I saw a lot of like Skyrim style elements, a lot of Xenoblade elements in there, and the Xenoblade elements are very welcome, in my opinion. the The open world, man. Let's let's just talk about this open world just for a minute, man. What they showed at E three was. What I think they said it was like two percent of the entire game. Two percent of the entire game, and it was so big, so so very big, and there were so many different ways to go. So many, like you, you and I could both play this game, and have completely different experiences because you might go left where I would go right, or you might not go to this part of the game, and I would. I, I tell you right now that this, when I play like open world games, I like to kind of explore every nook and cranny. Like that's why Grand Theft Auto games take me like months to beat, is because I am just searching all over the place to see what I can find, to see what's new. This game yeah. will have me trapped. I'm the same way. I mean, that's. Um... When you finally start getting into Xenoblade Chronicles, you know, you can, you get to choose a division that you want to be a part of. I chose the Pathfinders because all I want to do is explore new areas and just, you know, traverse the, you know, every inch of that open world because that's, you know, and I'm going to do the same thing for Zelda. That open world is gorgeous. And um, I'm sure, though, with Zelda, um, there will probably be a lot more. Uh, puzzle elements in in the Zelda open world than there are in the the Xenoblade Chronicles X open world 
just because it's a Zelda game and they usually have a lot more puzzle elements to begin with. So I'm kind of, uh, and I didn't really see a whole lot of that in the, the gameplay that they showed, but I am looking forward to see uh, what new types of puzzle elements that they, they bring to the game as well. See, I meticulously watched all eight hours of the stream for the first day, um, and they did show two dungeons that they weren't showing for very long, but they did show, and those dungeons did have a lot of puzzle elements, but they were different types of puzzles than we than I'm kind of used to for a Zelda game. Um, a lot of them were the st- like the so they were in like this clock tower, and it was about stopping the gears. In a, at a spe- in a specific way so that you could walk across the gears to reach the next, you know, the next level of this clock tower dungeon. Um, so it's a lot of interacting with the environment. A lot different than previous Zelda puzzles where most of those were like, oh, just throw your boomerang in, in this, you know, especially in Twilight Princess, using the Gale boomerang in this pattern to unlock this door. No, this was stop the gear because there are these spike balls, and if you don't stop the spike ball, the gear, the spike balls are going to hit you. Or you can stop the spike balls. Different ways of doing the same kind of puzzle. Like that was that was what cool is what was cool is previous Zelda games you could only do the puzzle in one way. You know that's the way the game intended you to to get past that puzzle. This game had different ways of of getting through the same puzzle. So it's about the player's play style. It's not about, you know, what the puzzle is. It's about how you choose to get past that puzzle to move on to this next section of the dungeon. Very cool. Something else that I thought was cool is you would ask me, because this game is so open and anybody can play the way they want, you asked if you could actually beat the game without doing anything. Anuma confirmed that you could beat this game right away. You could literally go start this game and walk up to Ganon and fight the final boss right away and beat this game. It's probably going to be a hell of a time doing it, but this world is so open that you could legit just go straight to Ganon. I will not be doing that. I, I, intend, to, I intend to explore this world to its fullest, but it's... I don't know if I like it. I, I kind of like it because... It's very reminiscent of the original Zelda game. The original Zelda game was an open world. You could go directly to anywhere you wanted in that game. You didn't have to do everything to get to Ganon. You could if you wanted to, but if you had a, if you had a strategy guide or you, you'd played through the game enough to know where everything is, you could straight legit just go to Ganon in that original game. So it's it's cool because it's like, it's literally like the first Zelda game all over again. And they like, it's, it's amazing to see how, how rooted in the, in, in the past this game actually is while at the same time breaking so many Zelda, uh, Zelda traditions, things that we know about Zelda. This game is, it, it's breaking those traditions, but at the same time, it's, it's keeping tradition. It's, it's a weird and beautiful thing and it's everything about this game is beautiful i don't i just don't know how to describe this game it, it's cruel that i cannot play this game right now it's it's because after seeing everything that we've seen about this game 
I am just so excited and I take back any and all the hate that I spewed upon Nintendo for delaying this game because it looks like it's worth the wait. And knowing that Monolith Soft was part of it, it really makes, it, it puts, it gives me confidence in the open world. Because even though we'd seen the open world, there was a piece of me that still didn't, that wasn't fully confident that this open world system would be right for Zelda. But knowing that the Xenoblade team was was helping makes a huge difference in the way that I feel about the game. Well, it makes me wonder, though, how that's going to impact the story. If it's if it's that open to the point where you can just go straight to the first boss right away, you know, like what the story is not going to be able to be you're not going to be able to complete it like in chapters. It's not going to be linear. So how are they going to tell the story in this game? I'm certain that the way they go about this game is, is it's, it's so weird, but it's, it's so weird, but to, to, to try to describe how this game is actually going to work, but I'm certain that the story mode, the story within this game is also pretty open and by going to the final boss, you will definitely miss miss out on on the story. Uh, I think you know it's really only there for speedrunners. You know we'll be seeing how fast people can beat the game. <laughs> but I, I mean I know the story is there. I mean they wouldn't have put so much emphasis on the fact that Link has been asleep for a hundred years if there wasn't a story worth telling. Um, it's uh, how much story you partake in. Is up to you. Is is all it seems like. It's it's well, it's really about how you do it. And the story does seem interesting for this game, um, because of the, you know, scientific, you know, advanced technology elements that they have going on. The stasis chamber, the fact that it might link back to Wind Waker. It's just that if it's that open and you can go to any uh, area in whatever order you want they're going to have to make the story work so that it can that when you go to these areas and and you and everyone's going to go to them in different orders that the story's still going to make sense because if 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 it's you know a story that you have to tell one piece at a time it's not going to make sense if you tell it out of everything out of order so everything is going to have to like not necessarily be connected that much to you know the story that that they are going to the pieces of the story that they're going to give you in each area, because it's going to have to make sense no matter what order you, you go to those areas in. Completely agree. It has to be a completely nonlinear story. The story has to be able to be told in a way that it, it appeals to everyone's play style. That being said, I, I have confidence in this game now that they wouldn't have tried to make this game this way if they didn't have, a specific plan of how to pace and move the story along. That being said, I mean, I just have to, again, voice my excitement for Breath of the Wild. Um, even the name has this epic quality to it, so I'm excited, and I'm loving everything that we've seen so far. The gameplay has been phenomenal. Uh, honestly, everybody who was worried about Nintendo Z3, I think the moment that we started seeing gameplay, I think most of our worries about E3 as a whole were were quelled. Yes, and they knocked it out of the park. 
And just like <clears throat> how we speculated um, previously that they might have some surprises for us, they did. And oh, yeah. they were, you know, they were excellent surprises. And we will get to that later on in the episode. Um, but yeah, you know, Nintendo, they really, um, even the stuff that they didn't show, you know, when they didn't, um, Nintendo's not getting into virtual reality right now. But the way that they explained that was that, you know, virtual reality is not there yet and it's not capable of being mainstream at the moment. And when it gets there, they said they'll be on board. But at the moment, a lot of things, you know, the, the technology, the price point, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, you got to have all these, you know, new systems just to play or, or to process the, the virtual reality, like, you're going to have to get a, a PlayStation Neo or a Xbox Scorpion, which, you know, it's... E so even the things that Nintendo is not doing, it's kind of like, well, we're not doing them yet, but, you know, it's because, you know, we're the technology isn't quite there yet either. So I was really happy with everything that I saw, everything I didn't see. And, yeah, like, like you said, Zelda just blew my mind. It was amazing. Man, and the Zelda news doesn't stop there, man. We got new Amiibo. Oh, that's right. We got new Amiibo. But before we get to the new Amiibo, let's talk about a previously released Amiibo. Uh, previously, they said that the Wolf Link Amiibo from Twilight Princess HD was going to function with this game. And boy, boy, does it really function with this game. This is some of the best Amiibo support I have seen in any Amiibo game. So basically tapping the Wolf Link Amiibo to the gamepad unlocks Wolf Link in the game. And he will travel with you as a travel companion and he will help fight alongside you. And he will stay with your character until he runs out of hearts. Uh, the basically, he the, the amount of hearts he has is tied to how many hearts you saved him with in Twilight Princess. So... It behooves you if you're gonna use Wolf Link to get to give him as many hearts as he can possibly have. But it's so cool to see two different iterations of Link on the screen at the same time. Um, what's also interesting about that is is that uh, Twilight Princess Link is a uh, if you're a fan of the Zelda timelines. The link from Twilight Princess is actually part of a separate timeline from the Wind Waker. So if this is a direct sequel to Wind Waker and Wolf Link does appear in this game, you're seeing a bridging of two separate Zelda timelines, which is so badass. <laughs> and it's really going to fuck with the timeline people, the timeline theorists. But very cool to see two different iterations of Link at the same time. And man... Even the way Wolf Link looks in Breath of the Wild is nice. Like, completely different art style. And they basically, you know, conformed Wolf Link into the new Breath of the Wild art style. And he looks good, man. He looks very good. I'm very happy with that Amiibo support. Well, the three new Amiibos that they announced look phenomenal. I mean, the Amiibo quality just keeps getting better and better. Oh, yeah. And, man, I hate Amiibos that come with stands. And I don't care for this set. This wave is just so damn epic. 
that I literally do not care that they have stands. Uh, the first one being Archer Link, which is based on the first piece of the promo art that we saw for Breath of the Wild. You know, with the Link in midair shooting the bow and arrow. It is such a highly detailed amiibo. It's it's pretty. The second link is the Rider Link, based on the second piece of promo art that we saw with Link riding on the on Epona. And even that one, that one's kind of a little bit different, but it's still beautiful. I mean, so beautiful. The last, the last amiibo was the the one that is so cool to me. I'm a huge toy collector, so this one makes this one makes me giddy. Uh, the Guardian, which is based on the enemy encountered in the game. This will be the first posable amiibo. It will have movable limbs. Very cool. Amiibo are becoming more and more like toys with each iteration of amiibos. Like, every new Amiibo line gets better looking. And now with this Amiibo line, we're getting closer to an action figure stylization of Amiibo. They just... are. And, you know, that kind of... There were other Amiibos uh, that they announced. And a specific Amiibo that might be my new favorite Amiibo of all time now. Just because, you know, it's not only one of my favorite characters, but it glows in the dark. Absolutely. But before we go ahead and talk about those, I do want to just go ahead and point out that the Breath of the Wild Amiibo line, they have not confirmed what the functionality for those Amiibo are yet. Uh, still pending. Hopefully, it'll be as good as the, the Wolf Link Amiibo functionality. But moving on, this is one of the first surprises Nintendo gave us at E3. This wasn't part of the live stream. They did this in a separate press release, but... You know, they timed it extraordinarily well. Mario Amiibo Series 2. Now, these are tied to a brand new game as well. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the Amiibo. We had Wario, Waluigi, Daisy, Rosalina, Donkey Kong, and Diddy Kong. And probably the coolest new Amiibo ever. Boo. Yes. And it glows in the dark, man. Boo is such an such a great Mario character in general. I've always loved the Boo. I always loved like how when you look at them, they like freeze. And I love the story behind them. Uh, Boo is actually based on a Nintendo designer's wife, who was like very vicious. Like when you looked at her. I mean, very vicious when 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 your back was turned to her, but then when you when you when you approached her, she was very sweet and shy. So her backstory is actually tied to a game developer's wife. That is funny. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a hilarious backstory, but yes, the character as a whole, very cool. One of my favorite characters, uh, in the Mario series period. Uh, but is it strange that Boo got an amiibo before a Goomba did? No, because. You have never been able to play as a Goomba in Mario Party, and you can play as Boo. And I started... Boo is, like, my favorite character. I, I used to play with Donkey Kong in the beginning of the series until they took him away. Uh, I know they brought him back, but the uh, I started playing with Boo and around Mario Party 4, and he's, like, my favorite character. His amiibo looks awesome. It glows in the dark. I'm totally going to get it when it comes out. <laughs> and um, 
you know, the other Amiibos um, for the new Mario Party, uh, Mario Party Star Rush for the 3DS also looked really good. But I'm just really excited because I wasn't expecting a new Mario Party game. And this one looks really good. It looks like they're finally starting to get the formula right again. Um, oh, yeah, they I, fixed all. They fixed, like, the majority of the problems wrong with the Mario Party series. Yeah, and I, I wasn't really impressed with the last um, few Mario Party games that have come out. Honestly, uh, the last Mario Party game that I really uh, got into was Mario Party 8. And now the the new additions with Star Rush being where everyone gets to take their turn at the same time. Yes. That's great. You don't have to wait for everyone to take their turn. You just have to wait for, I guess, the last person who's, you know, to finish their turn, I guess, if they're the slowest. But everyone's going at the same time. You're not following a linear path around a traditional board game. It's just you're playing on a map, and you can kind of go anywhere on it. The gameplay for that looked great. Uh, the mini games that they showed for it all looked really fun, very innovative. And, I mean, is November here yet? Because that game is coming out the same month as po- Pokemon Sun and Moon, and I just <laughs> have to wait all the way till November to get both of those games. Oh, yeah, I know, man. It's going to be It's going to be bad because, like, Normally, I go balls deep into Pokemon games, but man, I'm I'm actually really excited for this Mario Party game, and it's it's kind of weird that this version of Mario Party looks so much significant. It looks so much significantly better than Mario Party uh, Ten. It it looks like they heard all the complaints about Mario Party Ten and just decided to fix the game, man. And these mini games. Some of the mini games that they showed were 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 great. I'm like, I'm gonna have a blast playing this game with Mario After Party. I could tell immediately that I was going to have a blast playing this game. Uh, <clears throat> I, yeah, love, I love the cookie mini game. The cookie mini game where they have to take the cookies off the plate, and you have to everybody gets to pick a plate, and they whoever you know whoever has the most cookies at the end of the of the game will win a match. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, I just, you know, sometimes when you when you hear about a new Mario Party game, they always try to add some sort of a new gimmick or a new feature. Sometimes they're hit and miss. Um, they're really changing uh, Star Rush a lot. Just the fact that everyone can go at the same time is a big deal. The allies. But, but yes, I was just going to get to that. The allies. The allies are very interesting as well but i think that that's going to be a really fun change to the game because each ally does something different so it adds more of a strategic element to mario party and one of the fun things about mario party was even though there there was always a little bit of luck involved because it's essentially a game where you have to roll a, a you know a die this adds a lot of you know strategic elements to the game and you, you always want the game to be a game where uh the the player who played the best wins and this game just everything that they've added so far that i've seen just looks like it's going to make for a great game absolutely absolutely moving on they they showed a couple other games and uh ever oasis a brand new ip from the direct from the from grezzo um, and it's going to be directed by the original director of the Final Fantasy games. He directed Final Fantasy 1 through 4, I believe. Uh, very interesting new IP. Uh, 
it looks a little bit too cutesy for me, but you know, I'm always I'm always down for new RPGs on the 3DS. Um, it's really where I get most of my RPGs is on my handhelds. So I'm looking forward to a new RPG. Uh, again, then the game that kind of surprised me the most was Yokai Watch 2. Um, Yokai Watch 1 did not do very good here in the States. And I'm surprised that Nintendo wasn't giving up on it here in America. I mean, I know it in Japan, it's like one of their biggest properties, but it just didn't take off here. So the fact that they're, you know, that they're continuing to support this game is actually pretty impressive in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't really that impressed with Ever Oasis. Um, I'm going to have to see more of that game before I make a decision on whether or not I want to buy it. I'm not really into Yokai Watch. I'm glad the 3DS is still getting a lot of love because it's great that all these major titles are coming out for it still, but I'm with you, you know. Um, I was kind of surprised to see Yokai Watch 2. Um, but, you know, hey, it's. Uh, it's good that we're we're getting all these games, especially uh, a few RPGs. And finally, the last thing they showed us as far as like major Nintendo developments was Paper Mario Color Splash. Uh, this game looks gorgeous. Like everything, everything I said about the way Breath of the Wild looks applies to Paper Mario. It is, it is as pretty as Zelda Breath of the Wild, but in a different way. Like they they finally got like that the paper cardboard aesthetic to look really really perfect. It, the game is flawlessly designed as far as visuals, um, and it looks like to me they fixed a lot of they they brought back some of the RPG elements that were missing. Um, it also does take a little bit from Sticker Star, but instead of stickers you use cards. But even with the cards, they added a level of strategy to how much you paint these cards like you don't have to paint them all the way uh by not painting them all the way you limit the amount of you limit the strength of an attack uh and the boss battle that they showed against Morton Koopa the strategy behind it was was really cool like i re- they really brought back some RPG elements to Paper Mario now, i mean they're not the traditional RPG elements that the original Paper Mario or Mario RPG had but they're new ones and you know, it's nice to see them doing more RPG within the Paper Mario series. Uh, that being said, I can understand why people would be concerned with the direction of Paper Mario. Um, a lot of people have claimed that it's it's gone too far off the rails. I, I'm one of those people. I think the uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star is one of the worst RPGs I've ever played. I was extremely disappointed because the original Paper Mario for... The Super Nintendo is one of the best RPGs I've ever played. And, you know, they took a lot of RPG elements away from Sticker Star. And even though most of the reviews for Sticker Star were pretty decent, it got a very strong negative reception from the fan base because it just, you know, it it took away a lot of the story elements and that's what an RPG is. You know, it's, you got to tell an interesting story and I did not like the sticker gimmick either. So, you know, if, if color splash is going to bring back some story elements, um, I might give it a chance, but 
you know, I'm, I still feel kind of burned from from Sticker Star, so I'm not sold on Color Splash yet. See the way the you know their argument for the reason why the Paper Mario series has veered in the direction that it has, it's it's one that I believe is actually plausible. I mean, there are currently two different types of Mario RPG style games. You have your Mario and Luigi series on the handhelds, and you have your Paper Mario series, which typically exists on consoles. Although we've had a few iterations on the handhelds, but your traditional style Mario RPG games are your Mario and Luigi games, and then, you know, your Paper Mario, you know, they're willing to take risks with with Paper Mario. And that's fine. That's fine for me. I mean, I really don't like playing two games that are extraordinarily similar, because if they're they're too similar, inevitably, you're hurting both franchises by making them the same. It's nice that, you know, they have the, you know, the wherewithal to understand that these games are already similar in nature. We have to differentiate them. And I think Paper Mario has always been kind of an experiment in and of itself. I mean, just looking at the art style of Paper Mario tells you that this is a franchise that's, it was an experiment. Like it could have backfired because when the first Paper Mario game came out, it was on the the N64. And during that, that era of gaming, we were already looking at full polygonal 3D 3D models. Super Nintendo. No, Mario RPG was on the Super Nintendo. Paper Mario was on the... Oh, Paper Mario. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as long as there's some sort of direction in this game, it will be better than Sticker Star because Sticker Star was like a game almost with no story and no direction. It was just like, hey, look at all these stickers. Go collect them. We're not going to tell you where to go. We're <laughs> not going to tell you how to beat the boss. Just trial and error. Good luck, everybody else. You know, that was Sticker Star. So as long as this game has some sort of direction and it just doesn't, you know, leave you to wander around wondering what the hell you're supposed to do, it will be better than Sticker Star. Absolutely. Um, you know, I thought it looked, I thought it looks fun, and I thought it was gorgeous. Uh, time will tell what what people think about this game. All I know is I'm going to be in line for Paper Mario's uh, Color Splash. More so than anything, I've always appreciated the visuals on Paper Mario. So it's one of those things where the game looks pretty enough that it keeps bringing me back. And, you know, I, while I will be, the, I will admit that the, the, the franchise has taken some weird turns. I mean, just go back to the version on the Wii. That was a 2D platformer instead of an RPG they're willing to experiment with this franchise and you know, I'm kind of willing to ride with this franchise. Like it's, I'm, and it's really kind of an art direction thing for me. It's one of those things where the art direction looks so good that I'll be willing to follow this franchise wherever it goes. Uh, and if it has a great story, all the better. Uh, one thing that hasn't changed from that franchise though, is they've always nailed humor. Like those games are genuinely funny and considering that, you know, Japanese humor doesn't always translate the best over to American humor. I think the localization team does a really good job of of getting the humor down pat. I agree. That is one of the, the good things about those games. They are pretty funny. Much anticipated news on a game that everybody has been asking questions about. When is Pokemon Go coming out? Well, Nintendo says it is now coming out in July. A hard date hasn't been confirmed, so we don't know when in July, but uh, it's going to be 
most likely towards the end of the month. So that's good news. And we're finally going to get Pokemon Go. Oh, yeah, man. I am I am beyond ecstatic about this news. And again, this was something that I didn't think they were going to dedicate as much time to as I actually did. They dedicated 45 minutes to Pokemon Go. Surprisingly, not a lot was said, but enough was said that we got some really cool information. So, if you go back and you listen to our very first episode of the Splat Zones, it was about Pokemon Go. And Mario After Party and I said that this was a game that if it did good and it took off, that they would update this game frequently. So the first piece of news that was given out at this presser was that the game will launch with only Kanto Pokemon. So that's 151 Pokemon if you include Mew. But they did say that through updates, they will include the Pokemon from other regions as time went on. That's awesome. Can we please make this game popular so that we can just go ahead and jump into Gen 2, which has some of my very favorite Pokemon? But it's very cool to know that this game will be getting updates based on its popularity. So it's pretty much guaranteed that this game is getting updated. Yeah, and I think this game, you know, is going to be wildly popular. And unlike uh, Mitomo, I think it'll have, obviously, it's a Pokemon game, way more replayability. It's going to be a big deal for Nintendo. Um, it was interesting because the, the information that they revealed about Pokemon Go, it was interesting as the, the features that they revealed for Sun and Moon when, when it comes to Pokemon Go, I really just want to play the game for myself to kind of experience it um, because playing around with augmented reality is new and it's different and not a lot of people have really, you know, those type of games. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever played um, an augmented reality game, at least not one. I really just want to get my hands on it and I want to play it. I, you know, I do think it is interesting about how they're um, choosing to have you evolve Pokemon by catching a certain number of them. And feeding um, them candy. Right. Or, you know, how um, the uh, Pokemon Go Plus is going to work. And, you know, all that stuff is good. It's just I need to do it for myself to understand it and to really see, like, okay, this is how it works. Yeah, I completely agree with you that this game, even maybe more so than Zelda, where they said that everybody can play the game their own way, I think this game actually will be that game where everybody has a different experience with this game, uh, especially based on where they live, you know. You know, we're both Floridians, but, you know, we currently do not reside within the same state. Um, your experience with the game is going to be completely different than my experience with the game. And that's a good thing. And that's a good thing. And that's a fresh thing. And it, because of that, this is like the perfect game to take with you on the move. Like, I tend to travel a lot. Like, I don't like to sit still. So I tend to just, you know, go to other, you know, cities within Florida. And on occasion, I'll go out of state just, you know, just to get out of state. 
you know, I'm at that point in my life where I can do that. You know, I can go wherever I want to go. And this is the kind of game that I want to bring with me when I get on that, when I have that itch to go somewhere. This is the game that I want to bring with me because that's what this game is designed for. They literally built a game that changes, the experience of the game changes as you travel. It's a very interesting and exciting way to play a game. Um, that being said, because of that, because this game is going to be different, they did straight up say it. In order to find all the po- all the types of Pokemon, you must explore everywhere because certain Pokemon are harder to find in different regions. That's very cool. You know, I live in Florida. There's a lot of water to go around. I could travel to the beach and, you know, I could be swimming in water Pokemon. Uh, lots of other cool things, too. While this game is augmented reality, and you're right, there there's not really a good augmented reality experience. Um, I mean, there there are some on the DS, but they're kind of lame. On the 3DS, right? Yeah, and I, I I didn't really count those because they're just it's not the same as what they're trying to do with this game. This game is totally different from anything that I've ever played before, and um, it's gonna be. I think the potential for this game is really limitless. If they do it right, it could be amazing. But, you know, I if I was Nintendo with some uh, Nintendo-themed portable chargers for your phone, because I have a feeling that this game is just going to drain the battery life of everyone's phone out there. Well, that was something that they confirmed uh, during the press is that there's a, there's a minimal battery mode, one that if you turn the phone upside down while you're playing the game, it actually reduces the amount of battery that it uses, which is which is smart because, I mean, it's like they took into account that smartphones, as great as they are, they, they have horrible battery life, and they're saying we're going to take the necessary steps to ensure that you can play this game the way you want, but save your battery life. And that's kind of what Pokemon Go Plus is there for, too. You never have to pick up the phone with, if you're wearing the Pokemon Go Plus accessory. Some- well, for as much... I'm going to be playing this game. I don't know how much that's going to help me. I can foresee like my phone always being dead because I play this game too much and no one ever being able to get a hold of me. <laughs> that's true. Dude, um, that being said, you can turn the, the augmented reality off. Um, that's not going to happen. No. I want to see the Pokemon in my environment. I'm going to be using AR mode all the time. Some weird things, though. Some weird things. Uh, you control the direction of the Pokeball that you toss. So you can, and you control the spin on it. And apparently if you give the Pokeball a little bit more spin, it increases the, the, the rate of capture. Um, another thing that I noticed in the trailer is that when there is a Pokemon on the screen, a circle will appear on the screen and uh, the circle gets smaller and smaller. The smaller the circle is, if you toss the ball, at one of its smallest points, that also increases the rate of capture. Again, you touched on the evolution. Uh, they were very specific. They get For Squirtle, they said you need to have caught 25 Squirtles and fed it a number of, you know, a proper number of candies before it will evolve. Uh, they did say that trading will not be unlocked until more people have access to the game. So hopefully that's going to be a day one unlock because... Man, you already know that once you know once this game does launch, everybody's downloading it. I've already you know 
transferred everything over to the memory card on my phone in anticipation for this game. They did say- so you have to feed from you have to feed your Pokemon as well as catching the twenty five Squirtles. Yes, yes, and you can you'll get Pokemon candy as you travel, and so you're gonna have to give you know catch the Pokemon and feed candy to Pokemon in order to get them to evolve. The candy actually makes them stronger, so I think the stats aren't gonna be necessarily increased. Through ba- they're not going to be as in- the increase in battle isn't going to matter as much in this game as it does in previous games. Like the candy is what helps control the evolution. Okay, uh, it's kind of like Gachi type game. Uh, sort of. And by the way, if um, you don't know what Tamagotchi is, they were these horrible little devices in the nineties. You would walk around with like a little keychain that was a little, you know, some sort of a monster or animal that you'd have to keep alive, and they would die after a couple days, and then you'd have to buy a completely new one. But they would wake you up in the middle of the night because you had to feed them every so many hours, and it was like, you know, basically like if someone in your health class tried to give you the little baby that you had to take care of, you know, for X amount of days, like this, it was like that, and it really wasn't. I mean, it got old fast. Just want to put that out there for our viewers. It's some of them, you know, the video game magazine and how, like, whoa, what is that now? You know, <laughs> what? But anyway, so sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> Please continue. Dude, the funny thing about Tamagotchis was is that how popular they got. It was incredible how popular those little bastards got. I know. Man, I'm not even gonna lie. I had I had, a big, I had like six. Like, I had quite a few as well. But I had this one that was like an actual human being baby, and it would wake me up in the middle of the night, and like I would look at the little screen, and it had to have like five little like poopoos on it because the baby kept pooping, and I wasn't cleaning it up or something. I don't know. And I just got tired of that baby, and I let it die because it was ruining my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh going back moving back to the pokemon go they did confirm raid events they didn't say what they were going to be specifically but uh they did kind of like say that you could uh, raid gyms man the worst part of this whole thing for me was that they did not give a solid release date i mean just give me a day quit quit pulling at my heart just 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 give me a, a definitive date you know, they gave us a, you know, they didn't even give us a, you know, they kind of screwed the pooch when they said that, you know, Pokemon Go Plus was launching at the end of July. But then they're like, no, we're not going to tell you when the game's coming out, but it will be out before Pokemon Go Plus comes out. I'm like, I was like, Nintendo, stop. Just stop. Just give me the damn game and stop fucking with my soul. I know you're you're worried that they're going to delay it. I'm pretty confident that it's going to come out next month, but you never know. I mean. Nintendo might pull something like two meant you thought we meant July of 2016 no we meant July of 2017 oops sorry July 2017 oh sorry guys 2018 stop it all right no I think it'll release date but if you're gonna announce something only a month in advance 
I think it's because they're they really are ready to release it. True, very true, very true. Well, then they talked about Pokemon Go Plus. There are a lot of things that this this device does. Uh, again, they reconfirmed that it's co- uh, a Bluetooth compatible device, so it works on your iOS and your Android. So it basically allows players to play Pokemon Go without the need of holding their their device. It has LED and vibrations to alert uh, the players when a when a Pokemon is near. Green light with vibrations means that a wild Pokemon is near. Uh, flashing rainbow indicates that you've made a successful catch, and a red light will indicate a failed catch. The things that you'll be collecting with the Pokemon Go are Pokeballs, berries, Pokemon eggs, and other items at Pokestop locations without having to look at your smartphone. This is cool. I like that. I like the fact that I can play this game without actually having to pull it out of my pocket because it might be weird to be walking downtown with my phone in my hand like, come on, come on. Or it might be dangerous at an airport, like Mario After Party said he wanted to do, have a battle at an airport. That might be a little dangerous. Might be easier to just tap your wrist. Yeah. Can you imagine TSA? Get him. <laughs> that would be bad. Again, and but... then of course they did say that the game will retail at the end of July for a price point of thirty four ninety five. All right. Let's talk about this price point for just a minute. It's a little steep considering that Pokemon Go is a free-to-play game. Um, that being said, it's probably the only way Nintendo themselves is going to recoup any money that they spent on the development of this game. I pre-ordered two of them already. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, the game is free, but then the cost of the Pokemon Go uh, wristwatch is going to end up costing you about the same amount as a game would cost if it would if it came out on the 3ds so i do like though how it it does more than just catch pokemon like you said you know you can collect pokeballs and berries and do um it does have a lot of uses i think you will be able to get your money's worth out of it but you're right it's probably the only way nintendo is really going to make money out of this game i agree um i like the fact that you can buy the the uh, Pokemon Go Plus directly from the app itself. Uh, if you're going to have the store function, and you can just purchase it. Uh, I already ordered pre-ordered mine through Amazon. They were up. I mean, they're, they're not taking any more pre-orders now, but you know they'll probably open open it up again later. And they did say that it would be retailing at select physical retailers. I'm really hoping they're talking strictly like Toys R Us and Best Buy and not Walmart because just going back to how Amiibos go, whenever an Amiibo is exclusive to Walmart, it's it's horrible. So can we please get exclusivity to like Toys R Us or Best Buy? I'm excited about this. I'm excited about Pokemon Go Plus and I'm excited about that. One thing that did bum me out is early on they did say that Pokemon Go would connect to the main series of games but they've kind of stepped back from that by saying it will not connect immediately, but they do have plans to integrate it into the main series of games, which basically means it might not connect to Pokemon Sun and Moon, but a future iteration of a Pokemon game. That's kind of disheartening. I kind of would like to see some kind of integration between their two newest Pokemon games, you know, just to have them there. But they said that they want Pokemon Go to exist as its own separate thing, 
and that they want people to enjoy playing Pokemon Go, you know, as its own game, not something that's tied to the main series. Kind of bums me out, but I understand the decision behind it. Yeah, I do too. Guys, that's that's pretty much all the big news from E3. That's pretty much everything. Um, they did show off a few other games. They, you know, they did show off Tokyo Sessions FE, uh, but we've known about that game for a while. So I just want to go ahead and say that we walked into this E3 with low expectations. I mean, Nintendo gave us low expectations. They didn't. They weren't going to have a direct. They weren't going to have a press conference. They were going to have Treehouse Live. They were going to have gameplay. And they pretty much did way more in ga- with gameplay than I think anybody thought possible. I mean, we saw gameplay for Pokemon. We saw gameplay for Zelda. We saw gameplay for Tokyo Mirage Sessions. We saw gameplay for Yokai Watch Ever Oasis, Mario Party, Color Splash. We saw gameplay, and it it totally worked. It. It was one of those things where it's like every time Nintendo does something that I think is stupid, they blow it out of the park. And I and I know a lot of people felt that way about Splatoon. They thought this game was stupid. It's one of Nintendo's best selling games. It's you know you know, we always underestimate Nintendo and somehow they managed to deliver even when they're being even when they're holding themselves back, they deliver. Well, if you had to just pick one thing, what would your favorite takeaway from this E3 be? My favorite takeaway from this year's E3, it has to be Breath of the Wild. I think it's because we have so many questions going in. Like, information about Breath of the Wild was so was so parsed, and we just kept getting delay after delay after delay that I was personally starting to lose confidence in the game. I was... You know, the more they delayed it, the more, the less confident I felt about it. The more I started to worry about the franchise. The more I thought they had bitten off more that that they could chew. And it, it was just a legitimately scary thing. And I was like, this might be that one Zelda game that unifies that unifies the community in the fact that it sucks. And it was completely the opposite of that. It was it was one of the most beautiful games I've ever seen. Like. You know, as far as art direction is concerned, I have to go back to like Ico and Shadow of the of the Colossus to to look at a game that I think was as pretty as what Breath of the Wild is. Like, and those are older games on you know like really old hardware at this point. And those are PS2 games, but their art direction was so stunning that you know they you know they're still fresh in my mind to this day. And Zelda Breath of the Wild fits within like that category of just this stunningly beautiful art direction and and the gameplay and everything that we saw all the fears that I had they're out the window and now I'm just nothing but excited to get my hands on Zelda and what about you after party what was your biggest takeaway from this year's E3 um you pretty much said it you know I, um, it was Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild took my breath away. So, 
Um, I will say, though, that I really am excited for Mario Party Star Rush. That looks like a lot of fun. And that was a big surprise because unlike Mon Moon, you know, we it, it was new. Um, they hadn't announced it previously. So that was it's always exciting when they throw something at you that's completely new. So I'm really excited about that. But um, but yeah, Breath of the Wild was was just um, one of those games that you know even before it comes out that it's it's going to be a special game. Well, you know, just to compare Nintendo's E3 to everybody else's E3, just to get a little bit off topic here, is that, you know, Microsoft and Sony either unveiled new peripherals and new consoles. You know, Sony's press conference, yeah, they had a lot of new games, but, you know, they, you know, there was a, there was a slight emphasis on, on VR for the PlayStation. They, they showed a lot of games that were compatible with the PSVR accessory that's coming out. And with Microsoft, they focused a good amount of their of their press conference on, you know, the Xbox One S. And the very end of the conference, they they unveiled the Xbox Scorpio, which won't be coming out until holiday of 2017. You know, where where the other companies showed us new hardware, and you know, Nintendo just solely focused on a handful of software. And that being said. Nintendo has already won multiple best of show awards for Zelda Breath of the Wild, which means, you know, that Nintendo, the company that didn't have a press conference, the company that didn't have a direct, all they brought to the show floor was one game. They were confident enough in that one game, and that confidence completely paid off to know that that game won multiple best of show awards. It goes to show that Nintendo's not done yet. They're not dead yet. And they can still make a game better than anybody out there. Like, they won best of show. I mean, that means that it was better than any game that that's on the Xbox One. It's better than any game on the, on the PlayStation or the PSVR. And they only had 1% of the game at the show floor. One, no, it was, it was less than 2%, they said. Less than 2% of the game. That means they, with less than two percent of the game, they impressed more than than anybody else did. And that's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, this is this is knowing that Breath of the Wild did that, man. That's that's awesome for me, and it goes to show that Nintendo still knows how to rock an E3, man. Definitely, I totally agree. Well, guys, I think that's gonna be it for this episode of the Splat Zones. But before we let you go. We got to hit you up with some social media link. Always email us at nice1983 at gmail.com. Or you can email us at thesplatzones at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at nice1983. Hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com slash nice1983gamecollecting. Don't forget to go ahead and check out the website, nice1983.wix.com slash gamecollecting. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, and you can watch the video versions here on YouTube. And before we let you go, if you like the music, you can always go ahead and check out GameChops.com. Or you can look up GameChops on YouTube and you can find all the fantastic video game remixes that they provide. That's it for this episode, guys. Mario After Party, you got anything left to say, bro? Stay fresh. Stay fresh. E3!